0: Hey everyone, this is JD with Track TrackStars Sports, and you're listening to New Stars featuring the interns here at TrackStars Sports. As I said, I'm JD, and with me, I've got a few of my fellow interns. Nice to meet you all. I'm back
1: at it again with another podcast. My name is John Meek.
2: What's up? I'm on the debate of the week. I'm Matt.
1: And we've got a pretty
0: condensed show for you guys this week. Uh, last week, we covered a lot of different topics. Um, this week, not as much going around in the sports world, but we're going to focus on the key points that we think are most interesting, and we're going to start out with our opening drive.
3: It's the New Stars opening drive.
0: Here focusing on Jameis Winston. We talked about Jameis Winston and his current uh, investigation last week where we predicted, the uh, I believe all of us did, that he would get suspended at least three games, if not four, um, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting that the NFL will be handing down a three-game suspension um, for violating personal conduct policy. Winston has been accused of groping an Uber driver back in March of 2016. Guys, now that this punishment is closing in on um, what are your thoughts? Um, has anything changed in your opinion from last week to this week? Jameek, we'll start with you
1: uh definitely not i I think that three games was uh probably what he deserves he said I would say that this case is kind of loose in the sense of the details don't seem to be all there. There doesn't really seem to be a major fraction besides the groping thing, which is a major thing, but I just you know I feel like if it was a grope if if he groped her in a sexual manner that they felt was kind of like a like two like I guess if they deemed it to be something more than what it is, because like, my thing is this, if you grope somebody in a domestic, in anything involving domestic disputes, it's uh, six games minimum. I feel like maybe he the word groping is too strong for the action that he did, because they only gave him three games when he should have got six, according to the NFL's policy when it comes to sexual assault cases and things of that nature. It's, it's a six-game minimum, and he only got three games. So I think that when they say groping, it's probably just – a too strong of a word for what he probably did. I think he probably touched it inappropriately or something like that, and that definitely wore some type of action, so I'm glad that he didn't give him
0: three games. And, Matt, what do you think?
2: Yeah, uh, my opinion hasn't changed much. Um, he deserves the suspension. I thought it would be four games. It's three games. Maybe it has to do with, you know, he's been – although he's had trouble in college, he hasn't really had much many issues in while work. in the NFL. So, So, um, you know, it might be like a first offense type thing, but, you know, we still are waiting on more details, like Jamik said. Yeah, and
0: the NFL, they haven't officially set in stone uh, the three games yet as the investigation is still ongoing. But as I mentioned previously, Adam Schefter is saying right now the league is sitting at three games for that suspension, and that's what the Winston camp is sort of waiting on hearing. Uh, but one detail that's come out since we talked about it last week, we keep mentioning that there's just not enough details yet at this point. But one more piece of information that we do have now that we did it before is that Winston was in this Uber with um, other people. He had his friends in the back seat with him. Um, and they left out a piece of information that the NFL has just found out over the past couple days, and that's that there was a portion of the Uber trip um, where he was alone where his friends had left and it was just him and the uber driver in the car and so that's i think making it seem even now more shady that there was time alone where it would be um where he could have done the things that he's being accused of doing um and i said this last week i think this is something that we're gonna that's not gonna go away anytime soon we're gonna keep talking about it um throughout the season as the NFL year goes on, especially considering he has a contract extension coming up. Um, but it seems to just be getting worse and worse for Winston and the Bucs. Um, right now they're set to miss him four games against the Saints, Eagles, and Steelers. Each of those teams won at least 11 games last year. Um, so it's going to put the Bucks in a real tough position. Um, and I don't know if it's something that they'll be
1: able to overcome this year. Definitely agreed. I think that Brian Fitzpatrick has a lot on his plate. He's playing some pretty good defenses, and uh, he's playing some pretty good defensive uh, defenses relative to his offense. And I think that that is going to uh, just him having to learn the playbook and all that kind of stuff. I think that's going to take time. I think the players aren't going to be as you know. As readily available for him in terms of leadership and things of that nature, so I really think that the Bucks have it cut out for them, especially when they're trying to implement kind of a new defense with all the additions and stuff like that. They really need the leader to be there so that they can all rally behind one guy and have that guy be a sta- at a stable position. So I think you know James Wiseman be suspended that might put the Bucks on halt for uh, this season.
2: Oh for sure, I think they start zero three, and as soon as Fitzpatrick may start to get the hang of things, Winston's back. So, I mean, it's a really bad situation um, getting suspended three as opposed to four, uh, even though it might not seem that. um, I just wonder how they will go about the preseason, knowing that he'll miss three games. I believe he'll be eligible for the preseason. His suspension starts week one. So uh, we'll see if maybe Fitzpatrick plays the majority of the preseason to maybe just start to have him get in the rotation of, you know, running the quarterback.
0: And I wouldn't be totally surprised if the Bucks just sat out Winston for the preseason, even if he was allowed to by the NFL playing it. I don't know if you want um, any the more face. attention, give him more availability to the public. They might want to keep him sort of behind doors away from the media until um, they're able to close this case. Um, officially and start to begin um, moving on as an organization.
1: Definitely agreed. I think that, you know, they don't want any more pressing what they're getting right now, especially in a city like Tampa Bay that hasn't won anything significant in the last couple of years. So I really do think they're going to probably put Winston on the back burner. And I think that they're, all, they're still going to be comparing themselves against the legacy of Mariota down in Tennessee. So it's going to be really, really hard for them to kind of justify Winston being there in Tampa Bay when he hasn't produced and then, you know, when he's been geared to produce, he's got himself in trouble. So I I just don't really see how this is going to work over for the fan base and for the media for Tampa Bay.
2: Yeah, they're in a really hard position. I mean, I saw a statistic today that Tampa Bay, over the history of their franchise, has the worst record. So, uh, you know, another year that looks like it will be another losing record. It's hard for the city.
0: And we're going to move on now to definitely some lighter sports talk. Um, the NBA had a big week. Uh, the, NF, or excuse me, the NBA draft uh, took place on July 21st. Um, and um, we also had the NBA awards um, this previous Tuesday taking place, and we found out MVP and Rookie of the Year, among other winners. But we're going to start with the NBA draft. Um, going one, two, three was DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, and Luka Doncic. Um, and guys, I want to get your take on this draft. Um, much like last year, it's poised to be, um, a very hyped and high ceiling draft class. Um, last year, a lot of guards coming in, making a difference. And this year, we see a lot of the bigs coming in, um, and looking to make an impact year one uh matt i want to get your take on this first um what was your favorite pick of the draft and then what was your least favorite your hated pick of the draft
2: Yeah. so uh my favorite pick of this draft has to be grayson allen going to the utah jazz i mean he can shoot utah's a good place for someone that you know may or may not have great character um I think he's less likely to get in trouble in a place like Utah as opposed to maybe like a Miami or New York, something like that. Um, So I think that's a really good fit. Uh, They were looking for shooters, and he definitely fills that role. He's a really great player. And my hated pick, I actually talked about this on the debate of the week, is Aaron Holiday uh, at pick 23 to the Indiana Pacers. I just think it's a complete reach. Um, Not that he's not a good player, but it really took the suspension's at UCLA for him to get significant time to even be in the NBA spotlight. um, Mm. I just – I don't see it really panning out for them, but we'll have to see. And
0: I want to respond to that um, in a little while. I want to get back to that Grayson Allen pick. Uh, But, Jameen, go ahead with your favorite and hated picks of
1: this draft. So I'll start off first with my hated pick, as we know. The Atlanta Hawks picked at three, and they picked Luka Doncic, and then they made a trade for uh, five with the with the Dallas Mavericks for Trey Young. I just think Atlanta is doing a disservice to who I consider somebody who I consider a rising star. I think Dennis Schroeder is somebody who uh, the league to be on high alert for as he gets older. He's only twenty four. Every year he's played in this league, he's make sure he's made sure to increase his points per game. When he was actually getting significant playing time, he was dropping uh, nineteen points per game this year and that's the highest he's ever been in his career, so he's trending up. And I think that, you know, I'm trying to go for... A guy like, you know, Trey Young, who's unproven and and in, in, you know, in, in taking away a rising superstar like Dennis Schroeder, that's annoying to me because I feel like it's a lot of complicity in that. It's a lot of stagnation when it comes to that. They're not really making a change. It's kind of a lateral movement, trading players to trading players. And they came out, they came out and said that uh, Dennis is probably not going to be traded. He's going to stay on the team, but they're going to uh, split his carries for Trey Young. And I just think that that's crazy to me when they could have just got somebody who benefited better. They could have got somebody who uh, immediately made an impact on a starting five instead of trying to take a hype guy out of college like Trey Young and then try to make him the face of the league, probably just sell more tickets, to be honest. So I, that really just got to me, and I really didn't like that, especially since it was in the top five. Like, all of that happened within the top five picks of the draft. So mm-hmm. I really feel like the draft philosophy for me is that you can't mess up in the top five. So there's, if there's any doubt within that, I just feel like that's, it's a bad move because, you, you. I mean, how often do you really get top five picks? And if you're getting top five picks a lot, then, you know, you're already in a bad position. So it kind of goes like that. My favorite pick will have to be uh, Kevin Knox. I think Kevin Knox going to the Knicks. To me, it's just uh, he went ninth overall, first of all. But Kevin Knox going to the Knicks to me, with the fire, the hiring of uh, Larry, uh, David Fisdale. Fitzger- Fitz- Excuse me, I always mess up his name. But with the hiring of uh, David Fisdale, I really feel like uh, he can take this guy, this this young kid, to the next level. I like what the Knicks are doing. I like that they're getting new guys in there, fresh blood in there. I like the system that uh, Fisdale ran in Memphis. So I'm really excited to see what he does with, in New York. And I think that, uh, you know, Kevin Knox is a smart kid. who's kind of, like, got a little unraw, you know, raw talent to him. But I think that he has a, a good side for a, a small forward. I think that he has a nice shot. I think his free throw, uh, yeah, free throw percentage is nice. And I think that uh, we, we should be able to uh, work with him. And I say we because I am somewhat of a semi-Nex fan. Hmm. I think you made
0: uh, two strong points there. Um, my favorite and hated looking a little bit different, but both going off of points that you two made. Uh, My favorite is the Mavs trading for Luka Doncic. Um, He was, like you said, picked at the three spot by the Hawks. The Mavs had to trade their fifth overall pick along with a future first-round pick that is rumored to be protected. Uh, They have not disclosed uh, the protection rights on that pick or what year. Um, The Hawks will be getting that pick. But Doncic was someone I was really high on going into the draft, um, I was hoping that the Mavericks would trade up for him. I think he's going to be a good fit for the city and sort of a rightful heir to Dirk Nowitzki as he rides off into the sunset as uh, one of the greatest power forwards of all time and one of the best Euro- or European players to play in the NBA. Um, I think Luka's got a unique skill set. He's 6'7", 220, running the point guard, but can also play the two or the three if he needs to. Um, my only question mark, really... Um, obviously as will his game translate to the NBA, um, and meaning mostly, is he going to be athletic enough? And then also, uh, I think the backcourt of him and Dennis Smith jr. Will be interesting to see how they make that work out considering both typically like to play on ball and don't have a lot of experience being an off ball oh,
1: really? guard. Yeah, I have management. a question though. So what do you think? Well, what position does Dennis Smith play? And then what position does Lucas play in this, uh, you know in, in the scheme are are they hybrids or is Luka going to slide to the 2 or 3 permanently or cuz you don't want to start with a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. by and then split carries with a guy like Luka Doncic when uh Dennis Smith is averaging uh 15.2 points a game so what, what do you think they fall in that you know five lineup
0: I I think that um you'll see in terms of at least the defensive end Dennis guarding the 1 and Luka the 2 uh, more times than not um and I think that they'll then just split responsibilities bringing the ball up. I think that if any of them, I think that Doncic is the better off-ball player. He has more of a catch-and-shoot ability, uh, while Dennis Smith is still really working on getting his jump shot um, to an NBA-consistent level. So I think that at least this first year with Doncic as a rookie, you'll see Dennis Smith, um, I think, taking care of the point guard, um, responsibilities in the half-court set, but full-court, if Doncic is able to get it up and push it, um, he's got great vision. Um, and even in the half-court set, the ball can end up in the hands of Doncic, and he can make a pass even if he's not the one bringing the ball up and initiating it. So I don't think it's going to be a huge problem, but I think it'll take time for the two players to adjust to that scheme. Okay, okay. And, and then my, my hated pick um, is actually Matt's favorite pick. Um, I did not <laughs> like yeah selecting Grayson Allen at 21, um, and it's not necessarily for a value at that spot at 21, and it's not necessarily against his game. I just have questions on whether or not he'll fit in with the Utah, um, uh, the mentality they have there, and the mindset that's in Utah and just what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I don't see him getting a lot of minutes with uh, the breakout season of Donovan Mitchell in his rookie year, uh, both playing the same position. And I understand that they need shooters. Um, I'm just not sold on him being able to fit in um, with that play style. Um, Utah being the defensive team, and I understand that while they're one of the best defensive teams, it also wouldn't hurt being one of the best offensive teams, so they're trying to address needs there. Um, I just don't know how well he'll fit in that system, um, especially considering he'll be fighting for quite a bit of minutes um, at the guard spot um, with Rubio and Mitchell pretty much set as they're starting backcourt. Um, so, Matt, I would like to hear a uh, counter to that argument. Tell me on Grayson Allen fitting in with the Utah Jazz team.
2: <laughs> well, I think at 21, he's by far the, uh, best talent they could have picked up. Uh, they definitely need shooters. He probably won't start his rookie year, but he'll be a strong six man. And I mean, like you said, like they're solid on defense. They need offense. They just have to figure something out. I mean, Ricky Rubio is getting pretty old. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is super young, so he's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. But I think that either. He'll fill in for Ricky Rubio, or he'll develop until the day comes. All right. I guess we'll just
0: have to wait and see how that plays out over in Utah. Like you said, uh, Donovan Mitchell certainly not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, It'll be interesting to see um, where the franchise goes from this point, considering a year ago around this time um, they were looking to rebuild with the departure of Gordon Hayward. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how quickly uh, they can get back into series serious contention in the West. Um, and, Jameek, I want to go back to one of the points you brought up when talking about the Hawks. Um, I, uh, With Dontrick as my favorite pick, I definitely think that the Mavs won that trade. Oh, definitely. Um, and one of the interesting things that I think coming out of Atlanta with this is the fact that Dennis Schroeder is now apparently um, not being shopped like he was going into the draft. Um, I feel like this pick of Trey Young would make more sense if Schroeder was on the move going somewhere else. Um, are you concerned about uh the Schroeder Young backcourt? Because unlike the Mavs, um, Doncic and Dennis Smith Junior backcourt, Donchich is six seven and has size. Um is yeah, at least six four, six, four. Six, one. six one. Six one. Schroeder six one. Six one? Man, yeah. yeah, and I mean, he's just, they're both, him and Trey Young are more or less the same size than both in height and weight. Um, so how do you see that playing out, and would you, do you think this would make more sense if Schroeder was on the move?
1: See, to me, when you have a guy like Schroeder who is undersized, but he's aspiring to be a better talent, and he's only making $2 million a year, like, think about that, he's only making $2 million a year. So if they really, mm-hmm. really, really wanted to get rid of Schroeder, they could get rid of him pretty easily. But I think what's, kind of, what's happening right here is they want Shorter to be a mole rattle for Trey Young as he comes in, and they want him to be able to kind of teach him the ways because, you know, uh, Shorter has around four years of league experience and his under his belt. He has a full season starting uh, this year and last year, barring injuries. So uh, I, I really think that they're trying to get him in more of a, a veteran role only at the age of 24, and that's why I hate to pick because I feel like it's a waste of his talent. You got a guy almost scoring 20, you know, a, a, a game for a whole year, and then you just disrespect him like that, especially when he's only his numbers have only gotten better every year. So I, just, I I, don't really don't see any coexistence This is with this. I think that fans are mad. I think that Dennis Schroeder is not liking this. I think that Trey Young's probably not in, a, you know, a good position to be here for this. I think that uh, if anything, Trey Young should have took over Sexton's role in uh, Cavaliers, the Cavaliers for the Cavaliers to pick him up. I think that everybody was going for kind of hype value with Trey Young, and they really wanted to bring the cameras and the uh, ticket sales and things of that nature. And they weren't, weren't really, you know, going for scheme when it came to him. So we'll see how it works. But my overall philosophy for this is they want him, you know, talking about shorter. They want shorter to be a role model for him, kind of teach him the ways, especially when you've got a guy who's playing well and who's the same size and body type as the kid that you're trying to get him to replace with. So I, I just really don't think it's going to go over well, but we'll see. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more. I think you hit it right on the head there. Um, and one um, part of this deal that um, I just learned about today uh, I believe it was Mark Stein reporting of ESPN um, that there is actually another trade on the table between the Mavs and the Hawks for this swap of picks. And what it would have been, instead of that future pick from the Mavs uh, to the Hawks that ended up taking place, um, the Hawks would have traded away. Um, Kent Bazemore to the Mavs. So not they would have swapped picks three and five, and then the Hawks would have been able to unload the contract that Bazemore has. Um, he's got, I, I think, $20 million, um on the contract next season, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying here to uh, look it up as quickly as I can. Um, and so, yeah, he's got... Um, this upcoming season, $18 million, and then the year after, he has a player option for $19 million. Um, Do you, I want to get both of your opinion on this. Do you think the Mavs made the right move staying away from such a large contract, um, especially when they have someone like Wesley Matthews playing the same position and role and making a similar amount of money? Um, or do you <laughs> think, considering they're in a rebuilding stage, should they have tried to keep their pick and just, uh, not really worry about uh, the lack of cap space that may result from getting Bazemore in.
1: That's what I'm saying, though. For the, from the Hawks' perspective, if you have Bazemore for $15 million to $20 million, however much he's worth, if you grab Luka and you keep Luka, then you can slide Luka to the two or the three to replace Bazemore once you let him go. So you get a new rising young star, and then you get to unload a 28-year-old, a 28-year-old who has a lot of uh, cap space taken up on your seat every year. So I really just don't understand why the Hawks did what they did because it makes no sense you have an established player at, you know, the number one spot already, and then you have a chance to replace somebody who's, you know, a big hole in your finances, and instead you kind of make a lateral move. So that, that just, it really doesn't do anything
0: for me.
2: And,
1: Matt, what do you think?
2: Uh, I think no one really wants to pay out. I mean, rebuilding is the time that you should, but a lot of the times I think that's just too big of a pill for these corporate, these teams, which are really corporations to swallow, so. From a business aspect, I think they might have made the right move, but from a, you know, fan of the NBA, I think it will hurt them for sure. And I'm pretty split as
0: to which one would have been the better deal, um, at least being a Mavericks fan, of course. My bias is through here, but that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm not sure what would have been better for them. I am concerned, though, now that they saved or, or I guess didn't take on that money, that the Hawks were trying to get rid of i 'm worried now that i'm going to see in a couple of weeks that DeAndre Jordan's coming over for a three year four hundred million dollar contract or something ridiculous that Mark Cuban just loves to throw, and players coming off the deal, so uh, I almost would have rather had them be stuck with getting Bays more than try and get themselves in a bad long term deal uh, with someone in free agency but um At the end of the day, I'm happy that they were able to get Doncic. Um, And I think both the Hawks and the Mavs got um, some pretty high-ceiling point guards. Um, And it'll be interesting now to watch their careers play out because they're always going to be connected from this trade. It's going to be a constant comparison between the two. And if one of them ends up being a star and the other's a bust, um, there's going to probably be a GM fired (laughs) one way or the
1: other. Uh, for making a bad call on that deal. Um, By the way, I I, yeah. I think it's I think it's safe to say that Grayson Allen kind of has a little bit of Johnny Manziel in him,
2: <laughs> I, <personally laughs> take the
1: lead. Uh, I see it, when I watch Grayson Allen's game, I see a lot of you know big play, big clutch opportunity type stuff, but also a big uh, character flaws and a bunch of stuff that, you know, you just don't want, well, you know, to happen. And it's interesting to note about Grayson Allen, just kind of, you know, talk about what Matt was talking about earlier, about Utah keeping him out of trouble. He didn't have trouble just off the court. He also had trouble on the court with the tripping and stuff like that, too. So it really goes both ways with him, regardless of where he's at. You know, if that's who he is, then that's who he is, as far as like a cheater or whatever you want to call it. So I I don't know how Grayson Allen is gonna really do in the NBA, but I think that he's gonna be an interesting story to follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, the perspective I was coming at it with. It is just I just don't know how he's gonna mesh um, with a team like Utah, who is very um, low ego, uh, team driven basketball that focuses on uh, the things that aren't so stylish and don't always make the highlight reels and just making smart basketball plays. So. Um, I think this could either be really good for him if he's willing to learn and maybe adjust a little bit. Uh, but I think really his enemy here in terms of NBA success, success is his own stubbornness.
1: Yeah, especially uh, his 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 ability to not like to lose is going to be something that's going to probably cause him some problems. The hip checking, the tripping, all that kind of stuff, that's going to come when they're down a couple of points in the Utah Jazz or a team that are really trying to get themselves together. So – uh mm-hmm. I think that, that could be a problem that we see with him. He's going to get frustrated when they're losing. He's going to get mad, and then he's going to start reverting back to his old character. That could be a concern that people have, you know, for even drafting him. So I just really think that that's going to be interesting to see play out, whether or not he can subdue those type of activities and just make it all about the game. And now
0: we're going to move on here to the NBA Awards. But before we do, Matt, we've been coming at your boy, Grayson Allen, pretty hard here. One last chance, <laughs> um, if you'd like to take it. Uh, to defend um, maybe more of his, uh, his character, his ability to gel um, with a professional group of guys like the Jazz have?
2: Yeah, um, I, think, I think he needs leaders. I mean, at Duke, he was the yeah, guy. Definitely. No yeah. one really was telling him. I mean, Coach K is an amazing coach, but player-wise, there was no yeah. one else like, on his level at all. I think him coming in the ground level, with him looking up to all the rest of the Jazz players, I think that can definitely make a difference. All right, I'll buy I'll buy that argument. Um, uh,
0: his team, uh, his now teammate uh, Rudy Gobert winning Defensive Player of the Year, one of uh, many awards given out last night. Some other notable ones: Lou Williams of the Clippers winning the Sixth Man of the Year award; Victor Oladipo the Indiana Pacers winning Most Improved Player of the Year; Dwayne Casey. Um, winning uh, Coach of the Year as former head coach. Somehow, the Raptors.
1: Was <laughs> that? I said somehow. How do you How do you win Coach of the Year when you get fired? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh,
0: that made for a rather awkward um, acceptance speech, and um, but I think both him and the Raptors um, on Twitter uh, did a good job of handling it with class. Um, but a pretty bizarre uh, scenario for sure. Um, some other awards that we saw, Dikembe Mutombo winning the Sager Strong Award, uh, Jamal Crawford with the Teammate Year of Award. Um, But the two big ones uh, that we're going to be talking about here on New Stars is the most valuable player and the rookie of the year, certainly the ones that get the most attention throughout the year, and for good reason. Uh, Both competitions were heated for the awards. Um, Coming out on top, James Harden of the Houston Rockets winning MVP, uh, finally, after I feel like he's um, uh, been runner up the past couple of years, uh, coming just a bit close or coming up uh, not is not good enough, uh, a close second. Um, and then rookie of the year, Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers grabbing that over Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. And we're gonna start with that one, uh, Jimmy. Uh, ben Simmons won rookie of the year after being drafted. Um, the previous class having having to sit out a year before playing, he was eligible to be a rookie this year, um, and balled out. He had a great season, uh, averaging, I believe, uh, 18-8-8 more or less, um, and led the Sixers to a, a great record and put him back in the playoffs. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell with 20 points getting Utah into the playoffs and Jason Tatum stepping up after the Gordon Hayward injury. It's It's weird. On two different players, on two different teams, um, Fill the void that Gordon Hayward left <laughs> that were rookies and were able to get into the Rookie of the Year conversation. Uh, Jameek, how do you feel about Ben Simmons taking home Rookie of the Year?
1: Uh, I guess it, it's very hard to. It really depends on how you look at the award. I'm uh, under the belief that the award should be all-encompassing of the entire season, you know, the playoffs included. I think that if we include the playoffs, then Jason Tatum definitely is the rookie of the year. But if we're just tapping it at the regular season at the end, when, you know, that's the time they vote, then I, I could see the the push for Ben Simmons, but even then I would give it to Donovan M- uh, Mitchell if I had to do it that way. So I, I really I think, you know, popularity plays into these things as well. It's not just statistics, of course, because um, if you just watch the tape, you can see Donovan Mitchell literally, you know, adding fire to a Utah Jazz team that didn't have it. And, uh, you know, the, the, my thing is this. The 76ers were already self-motivated. Trust the process was already a hashtag on Instagram. He already sat out, you know, I'm talking about Ben Simmons. He already sat out for a year and didn't play his real rookie year. And uh, no fault of his, but at the same time, you have to really encompass the entire you know the entirety of the season when you're talking about of the year and anything has of the year on it, you have to include the entire year. so I really think uh it probably should have like I said the way I would do it is I would incorporate playoffs into that you know voting consideration as well, so I definitely would have did Jason Tatum because I just feel like Jason Tatum stepped up when Kyrie was down and he gave them a he he just gave them life when they didn't have it, you know, and uh I especially just you know them playing LeBron and how hard they went at him. I just really saw a lot of fire and a lot of fight and a lot of leadership. And I also think that uh, Jason Tatum's numbers. Excuse me. I also, think that Jason, I also think that Jason Tatum's numbers are kind of deflated because you know, for some of the season, he didn't get a chance to start. He was sitting behind Kyrie, so we look at his regular season numbers and you see he only scored 13 points per game or whatever the case may be. It, a lot of that has to do with that he was benched. You know he, that that's that's what happens when you're a rookie. So he comes off the bench, he instances into the playoffs, and then he ends up balling, and then you you don't give him the champion. I mean, you don't give him the award. That's crazy to me. He almost took the team to the championship. So I, I really do feel like the Celtics team did far better than anybody could have thought of. I thought the seventy six team, you know, based off of all of that talent that they had on that team, it wasn't unfeasible to really see them going where they went. But uh, I I I think Jason Tatum doing what he did was was dope.
0: And, Matt, what about you? Um, A more controversial finish here for the Rookie of the Year. Um, How do you feel about Ben Simmons taking home the hardware?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, We're talking about Rookie of the Year here, not a guy who's in his second year. I understand that he missed his rookie year with injury. However, he was being coached by NBA coaches, he was being trained by NBA trainers, and he was in practice with NBA players. He has a benefit over guys coming out of college that don't know the league yet and have to figure it out. How is that fair that he can just sit and continue to learn and get better, even if he's not playing the entire time, and then just come on the court, dominate, and win rookie of the year?
0: Yeah, I lean uh, probably a little bit closer to you, Matt, here on this argument. Um, I think that the rule is pretty bogus. Um, especially considering uh, the fact that I mean, he did come in injured. He played in the preseason games, in the or the summer league, excuse me, um, and injured himself. So it's not like he wasn't injured. But at the I mean he was originally supposed to come back around all-star break, and then that just kept getting pushed further and further back. And I don't think it was for medical reasons, honestly. I feel like that the Sixers just wanted to tank and trust the process as much as they could. Um, so I think that even weakens uh, the case. So I just maybe not weakens this case, just because according to the rules, uh, he was eligible and he probably had the most impressive season under that eligibility. Um, but it just, it, I think, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth that he could have played Rookie of the Year, but almost solely for uh, trying to improve their uh, pick in the lottery and then keeping his eligibility available for this year. Um, I think is pretty bogus. I don't think he should have had eligibility this year because he should have been playing last year, at least for the second half of the season. Um, But under the current rules and what they are, I think that uh, people made the right choice by giving it to Simmons. Um, I just feel like that the rules should have been constructed where it was between uh, Mitchell and Tatum uh, for the rookie of the year. And I think that that would have led uh, to a pretty great uh, race and discussion. Um, looking at the voting breakdown here, uh, Mitchell finished with 323 total points while Tatum finished with one Oh one. But I do think that would have been closer if you take Simmons out of it. Um, but if Simmons wasn't in it, I think Mitchell had the better year of the two putting up 20 points. Um, and even though, Both individual teams for Tatum and Mitchell had successful seasons. Mitchell was the focal point of the team, um, while the Celtics were able to um, have a more balanced attack, and that's not a knock against Tatum. Um, I think, if anything, it's a compliment to Brad Stevens uh, doing such a terrific job as a coach this year. Um, But Mitchell being able to carry the load that he did Um, I would have pegged him as rookie of the year if Simmons weren't in it. uh, But I do think that the voters got it right
1: in this case. I I, kind of have, like, a little injustice. Two things here. Number one, uh, just to clarify my earlier statement, uh, yes, when I I was saying – when I was talking about – Jason of coming off the bench. I didn't mean like physically coming off the re- the bench to replace Kyrie Irving. They played two different positions. I mean coming yeah. off the bench like a, as a as a metaphorical sense of him literally going from the regular season scoring thirteen points to going into the postseason scoring eighteen and having that jump of just responsibility and priority yeah. on the offense. That's what I was talking about. Uh, I think Terry Rozier played phenomenal for the uh, Boston Celtics in some games, but I think he was really wishy-washy. I think that more often than not, the focal point of that offense because I heard. Jerry talked about how you know uh, Donald Mitchell was the focal point of of the Utah Jazz attack. I feel like the focal point of that offense toward the end there was Jason Tatum. In fact, that's 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 who LeBron was commenting on. That's who teams felt they needed to stop. That's who teams felt had the hot hand. And I feel like Jason Tatum really came alive when his team really needed it. I think that you know, especially at his position, to drop 18 like that, I think is you know that's 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 a lot to you know consider from a rookie. Uh, As as far as you know, Ben Simmons sitting out for a year and everything like that. Again, my problem isn't so much with the schematics of it because I feel like though you're not in your rookie year, if you haven't played a game yet, it's still kind of, you know, still the same thing pretty much. I know you have that extra year to get the playbook and everything like that learned, and you have extra year to do uh, conditioning at the NBA level and stuff like that, and this is way different from college. But at the same time, if he's not playing a single game, that's, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't played a single you know, the, it, it, there's there's nothing, there's nothing to say that he's great off of in that rookie year. I think that they did that so that they didn't rob him of the fact that he got injured. Like, that's not fair to him to not consider him a rookie when he got injured. But, I mean, again, that second year labeled is technically true at the same time. I think more for me, guys, and I want to know your opinions on this, it's more of a question about the actual championship than just the specific contestants this year because, for, I mean, the actual award. Because for me, I just feel like the award needs to change its meaning as to what it, you know, as to what it pertains to. I just, I just think that it has too much to do with regular season, that these are all regular season awards, when they really don't encompass the playoffs, which is what really matters.
0: Yeah, so going back to your first point about Tatum being the focal point of the offense in the playoffs, there were certainly games where he shined and was the leader on the offensive end. Um, but he wasn't every game. There were times where Rogier, like you said, would step up where Jalen Brown would go off. Mitchell was the guy game in, game out for Utah. Um, yeah. and I wasn't trying to say that Tatum wasn't the focal point, it's just that he wasn't always the focal point like Mitchell was um in Utah. But um that being said, um the combination or the of uh, Rogier, Brown and Tatum Um, is outstanding for the Celtics, and to think that they'll have Kyrie and Hayward back next year is insane, Um, and the topic um, that we'll have to table for another day. Um, Going back to the regular season idea of the Rookie of the Year Award, I agree with you. I think my personal opinion on it is that they should change it up. They should have a regular season award uh, for all the awards that they have currently, and then come postseason, there should be a postseason MVP, rookie of the year, um, and coach of the year, along with the finals MVP uh, still as an option. Um, So that's my take uh, on it. Matt, do you think that the NBA should do anything to switch it up, or is the current system that we have in place um, enough to sort of give people their just due?
2: Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think there should be two separate awards uh, because – I think if they just simply incorporate the playoffs as well, a lot of voters will only remember the playoffs. And, you know, the the regular season seems so distant at that point. Um, uh-huh. I think they really need to split it up one-on-one one so that everyone it has a fair chance. A lot of these awards, like, a single player can't help if their team's bad um, and, and can't make the playoffs. You know, if they're the only player on the team that's decent, Uh, they're not going to make the playoffs, or they're not really going to go far at all. So I think they should definitely split it up.
0: Jameek, what do you think of that idea?
1: Uh, You know, yeah, I like the idea of splitting it up, too. I think that that's one of the easiest ways to solve this problem. I think that, yeah, at the end of the regular season, there should be a vote there, and then at the end of the um, playoffs, there should be a vote there. Because my thing is this: if you if you vote any at any other time besides the end of the playoffs, if a guy does something in like let's say Game Six or Game Seven of the Finals, how you how, how do you not give the playoff you know award to him for whatever it is? So I think that that has a lot to do with it. Definitely, yeah, I think that it's something that
0: the league should consider. Um, they have a bunch of rules right now on the table that they're looking at. I know they're considering. Um, letting high schoolers um, come back in the draft. Um, There's been talk of reseeding the playoffs. Uh, I have
1: something to say about high schoolers. If somebody goes to college and it's if, if somebody goes to college and it's one and done, like I think I think there's an alarming stat like some some eight out of the top ten picks of this year's draft were all one and done. So if they're just doing that, isn't that the same thing as high school? Basically, these these, these kids are playing, you know, they're, they're just going to high school. I mean, they're just going to college for basketball. But sometimes when they get injured during their first you know first year, that then they're out and they still get drafted. So it's the same thing basically. They're still going straight to the league from high school. It's just like it's a couple of months lapse, it's not even a full year. So I really don't understand the uh approach to that. I understand that they want them to get some form of college education or something along those lines, but at the same time, these kids aren't really staying in college for that long. Most people are becoming one and done. Trent Young is a point guard who you know, we could we could argue is underdeveloped a little bit, who uh what didn't go to college for a long time.
0: Yeah, I think I don't like the current system. One idea that I've heard floated around that I really um, attach to is the idea that um, high school players can enter the NBA draft, um, but if they do that, they have to spend uh, their first year, what would be their freshman year of college, um, in the G League, getting that training, being Mm -hmm. able to build up physically to be ready for the NBA level and sort of learning the ropes of what it means to be a professional player. Um, Because, I mean, these are 18-year-old kids, and that's a lot to throw at them all at once. Um, Others have obviously handled it. LeBron seemed to do just fine with it, and so did Kobe, among others. Um, But I think that would help out, um, develop those young players, um, and maybe weed out also earlier um, in their careers, who's going to be a bust and who actually has the potential to make it? You don't think
1: you don't think that's and that's going st- to you don't think that's going to like startle some of the stardom of these kids. Like if somebody, if people really want to see this kid coming out of high school, join their favorite team like the Spurs or something like that, they're not going to sit around and watch this kid play in the D League. They're going to want to see him on the Spurs. So and they
0: don't really like the player that much. <laughs> if you're really hyped about this guy, I think it'll draw to the G League, and I think that helps out the NBA from a business standpoint as well. Now it's able to help build um, this league that they're attempting to revamp and expand. A lot of new teams are buying G League teams now. Um, I think that um, it would be pretty beneficial. Uh, The only concern I would have would be the ability to watch it. I think there would be a lot of people who want to watch it, but the NBA would need to figure out a way for people to watch it um, without really uh, yanking on their wallets too much. Uh, so some sort of free streaming service. I honestly don't know if there is one already set up, for I don't know there might be, um, but that would be my concern um, with high school's biggest stars going to the G League, if they ever were adopt, to adopt that. And then another part of that rule that I've heard is so the high school players going straight to the G League, um, but if you do go to college, you have to go for at least two years so that one-and-done doesn't happen. Colleges aren't constantly losing players through the draft. Um, they actually have time to go there, learn a bit educationally in terms of academics, but then also um, in terms of their knowledge of the game of basketball. Um, Matt, um, do you what do you think about that? Does the NBA have it right as it is? Um, Would that idea, I just explained, be more beneficial or is there a different idea that you subscribe to that would be best for both players in the NBA?
2: No, I uh, I think they definitely need to change it because, yeah, I mean, some of these teams in college, Kentucky, you know, like even Duke and some other teams are constantly losing players. It's just ridiculous. They're simply only there to go straight to the NBA. I think the first option of, putting the players in the G League for a year is a good option because, again, like, how are you going to throw millions and millions of dollars at an 18-year-old? I know if I got that when I was that age, I would have no idea what I was doing. Uh, So I think that's dangerous as well as from a playing standpoint. Um, I think they should probably stream the G League games on NBA.com. I think that would be a valuable option for them. Um, It would definitely expand the league and they can make revenue dollars off of that in the future. So I think the first option, the second option for them to commit for two years, I think a lot of players are going to steer away from that because (laughs) two years is a lot longer than one year in the G League. So, uh, you know, I think the first option is definitely the best, and they do need to change it because well, it's kind of crazy right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's it's something that certainly needs fixing um and hopefully they're able to get through it um within the next handful of years um i want and i i think i tweeted this out the other day i want high school players to be eligible to come in um within the next 3 4 5 years so that lebron james junior can get drafted and have a <laughs> chance to get more <laughs> Of him playing with his dad, LeBron, somewhere, maybe in LA, maybe in Cleveland, who knows? Uh, hopefully, by the time we record our show next week, we'll have a better idea of where uh, LeBron is going to end up uh, setting up for the next couple seasons. But um, that's one, that's another pro that I have for making high schoolers, because I think that would be the coolest. I don't know if we, I don't think the NBA has ever had a father-son playing at the same time. I know baseballs had it with Ken Griffey and Ken Griffey Jr. Just as one example. Um, but I don't think anyone in the NBA has ever been able to pull that off, so I think that would be pretty cool to see. I don't know about you guys.
2: Well, let me ask you this. If they go with the first rule of putting a player in the G League for a year, does LeBron play in the G League? The, okay, so here's <laughs> something
0: that's unique. To, this is my unique twist on the thing. Um, I think there should be what's called the LeBron James Jr. rule. And that is, if you're the son of an NBA player, that whole G League business goes out the door. I want to see those two on the same court. I don't care how old he is. I don't shoot. If they have to make it so he's 16 and he's allowed to come into the league, that's fine. I just want to see those two out on the court together playing before LeBron too far past his prime. <laughs> Um, Yeah, uh, to answer your question, though, more seriously, uh, no, LeBron's not going down. As much as he would love to play with his son, um, he also loves competition, and he's just not going to find the competition that he's looking for down there um, in the G League. Um, If he's looking to beat teams by 50 with his son, he can – Play in the backyard with some kids in the neighborhood. It's not too hard to find. <laughs> that
2: maybe
1: to maybe they adapt. Maybe they adopt a practice squad mentality with the NBA. Kind of gives them an extra, you know, extra couple of men on the roster that they can sign and have training with them. Because I I I think the G, I think the problem with the D League is the fact that it's not really owned by the NBA. So it's like the restrictions and stuff like that that they have is kind of it's it's really hard to navigate from what I understand. You know, the the whole fact is it changed from the developmental league to the G League because, you know, whoever owns Gatorade was the people who bought it. So I I don't know. I think that that's going to be something that's pretty hard to uh, navigate around. I think that uh, after a while they're going to have to figure out how to make sure that these kids are really considering their college futures against their NBA professional careers because uh, not everybody's going to make it, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. And maybe, honestly, the NBA wants these players quickly too.
0: You know they're they're worried about busts coming in, um, and I think the G League would help. I don't know, maybe deter some of the high schoolers who think they have a shot that may not, um, just aren't really aren't sure where they land yet. Um, But also, I mean, and this is this I don't think this will happen, but this is just me spitballing. Maybe high school kids if they come into the draft or anybody who gets drafted by that uh, uh, by the NBA. Um, there's maybe a new collective bargaining agreement could come into place where anybody drafted into the NBA gets a guaranteed, uh, you know, four-year tuition at some point in their lives, you know, that they're able to cash in. And so if the NBA doesn't work out for them, uh, they're not wasting uh, their career because there have been a lot of players who have gone all in on basketball, um, try to go into the draft, get drafted, and then – cut after one year and now don't have anything really to show professionally. Um so I think that would bring in a lot more talent, um, which is really what the NBA wants, but I don't see that being a really um realistic uh possibility to the new uh draft rules that the NBA could adopt in the future. And any any closing remarks here before uh, we wrap up the show. Um, we only talked about the Winston thing earlier, uh, NBA awards, uh, the draft. Um, anything else that you guys want to cover before we sign off?
1: No, I think we got everything patted down. To be honest, you know what? I think I think we did a pretty good job today, fellas.
0: <laughs>
2: Everybody
1: pat themselves on the back. We're a big round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's our uh, virgin, that's be- our version of editing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll I'll do that in post. I'll put in some claps there and make it sound like we're recording in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh Jameek, if you wanna uh close us down tonight and finish up uh
1: with a prayer here before we go. Yeah. Before we go, I do have actually one thing I'd like to say. That's funny <laughs> that is uh it it was, it was reported that uh New York Giants cornerback and superstar Junois Jenkins uh There was a dead body. Uh, We we really don't know any of the specifications. We really don't know any of the details behind this kind of stuff. They've been talking about this person's been arrested, that person's been arrested, but nothing concrete concrete has really come out. All we know is the fact that Genovese Jenkins is in Florida at the moment and that a dead body was found over the last couple of days in his New Jersey home. So with that being in mind, we don't like to make a lot of speculations here on the uh, New Star show about, you know, what could have happened. but we just know that there was another soul that was lost, you know, in the last couple of days, and we really just want to pray for that and really want to boost everything, you know, boost everybody up. So with that being said, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we exit in prayer. Father God, we come to you, Lord, uplifting you. Thank you for a great day, a great community day, Father God. We come to you, Lord, just putting our hearts and our minds together and placing them in your hands, asking that you continue to bless us and that you continue to help us to walk upright, that you just touch all the lost souls out there, Father God, and that we pray for safety and we pray for compassion and we pray for grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, that's our show
0: this week, everybody. We want to thank you for listening in. Uh, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at Sport. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Anchor, or you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes Podcast if you have an iPhone, or Podcast Republic. Go ahead, download the app. It's free. Um, if you have an Android, that's where you can find us on those platforms. Um, until next week, uh, this is JD signing off for myself, Matt and Jamique, and you're in the field with Trackstar Sports.
3: Breaking news. LeBron James is officially on his way to Lakerland. The 15-year vet NBA superstar has announced that he will be signing a deal with the Los Angeles Lakers for a 4 years, 154 million dollars, that fourth year being a player option. This is going to shake up the entirety Of the NBA, the best player, not only changing teams, but changing conferences, joining a much tougher Western Conference for the first time in his career. And this will certainly make the NBA season even more exciting than we had thought going into it. Um, Or if LeBron had chosen to stay with the Cavaliers, fans that may have been turned off from the Warriors-Cavs finals these past four years will now have a chance to see um, at least one new team. you got to imagine the Cavs aren't going to be making it back to the finals now without LeBron, and there's even a chance now in the West that the Warriors aren't able to make it out. You have LeBron now in the West with a new team, a new group of guys, possibly even Kawhi Leonard. They The Spurs and the Lakers are still in trade talks trying to get the f- former finals MVP from 2014, or no, excuse me, 2013. Over into the purple and gold, joining LeBron. And you got Chris Paul coming back with the Rockets, trying to knock off Golden State. And it's certainly going to be possible with a very strong Western Conference due to this news of LeBron signing with the Lakers. And then you also had Paul George and Chris Paul re-signing with their teams, Oklahoma City and the Houston Rockets, respectively. And over in the East, it looks like the Celtics have themselves a path to the NBA Finals. It's hard to imagine a different team in the Eastern Conference competing with that group of guys getting Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back. They are going to be a threat, and we will finally have a new matchup in the Finals. It may not be the Celtics, although they are the early favorites, but it's hard to imagine any sort of scenario where the Cavs are going to be able to make it out of the East this year without LeBron. We will talk about this more in our next episode of new stars when we're able to have the whole group together. Um, I'm recording this, um, on Sunday. Uh, the news just came out that LeBron will be signing with the Lakers. Um, we recorded the rest of the show earlier in the week, but I figured I had to throw this in here just to make sure we're up to date for our release. When you're listening this morning, we will have more discussion on that when our new episode comes out this upcoming Friday. Be sure to tune in for that. That'll be Friday, July 6th. We will have all the interns here on New Stars giving you their takes on this LeBron signing and the rest of the NBA free agency moves that have been made up to that point. We'd like to thank you again for listening. Be sure to follow us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all those sites. You can follow our podcasting on Anchor, or you can get it through iTunes Podcasts. Or you can, if you're an Android user, download from the App Store, Podcast Republic, and subscribe to us on there. And until next time, you're in the field with TrackStar Sports. This is JD signing off.